Travels with John Smith, Chapter 52, Year 8, 2019. Chinese New Year with Pat and Lyle, Penang and Langkawi, Malaysia. We have just arrived in Malaysia and we catch a taxi to Georgetown, the capital city of the state of Penang, the oldest part of which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. We pull up in front of a building on a street that looks like what I imagine New Orleans does. We are staying in the Museum Hotel, and outside there are elegant white columns, shutters on the second floor windows, and French doors on the street floor. Inside there is dark, rich wood, four-poster beds, and fans on the ceilings. The walls are dark green, and the tile on the lobby floor is elegant and understated. The hotel lobby, hallways, and rooms are filled with curiosities, colored glass, Chinese screen dividers, and quirky statues. Beside the dining room, there is a long but small swimming pool. Part of the reason we booked this place was the fact that it had a swimming pool, but it looked a lot bigger in the photos. We love the vibe of the rest of the hotel, so it's not important. We open the shutters in our room. There are fireworks popping right outside of our windows as people continue to celebrate the Chinese New Year. Pat wants to have a quiet night, so she stays in, and Lyle, John, and I go out to check out the old quarter. We find a lively street with loads of cool little restaurants, and we have a tasty meal surrounded by the trendy people of Georgetown. On our way back to the hotel, John and I stop to get some ice cream. Lyle says he'll wait outside, and as we go into the shop, John and I see an attractive ladyboy lingering close by. Lyle takes a seat on one of the chairs right outside the shop, and she glides over to where he's sitting. She starts talking to him, and as we order our ice cream, John and I watch from inside, wondering if he knows... We come out of the shop and Lyle, still blushing, puts his arm around me and says, Goodbye to her. The three of us walk away and we ask Lyle if he had a nice conversation. Lyle lowers his voice saying, She said, Do you want to go have some fun? And I answered her saying, Sorry, I have a wife. That's her inside the shop. She said, You have a woman? Lyle laughs and wonders why this is so hard to believe. We hire a driver to drive us around to the interesting spots in Penang. We go to the Queen Street Indian Temple in Little India. It's the oldest Hindu temple in Penang and is covered with colorful gods and goddesses in the front and inside. There are services all day long and we are invited to join in. We stand while a priest places a reddish-brown dot on our foreheads. We're told it is like a third eye to give us the ability to see more of the world, to be more in tune with the universe. This seems like such a loving idea. We thank them and move on. The other three wipe them off 
when we leave the temple, but I leave mine on, thinking I'll remove it before our next stop. We hear there are two mansions we should see, so we ask the driver to take us there. They have both been turned into museums, but are rich in Perencan antiques, collectibles, and customs. They are both famous for their architecture, which combines different cultural styles, including Chinese and colonial British. The Chong Fat Tzu Mansion, or sometimes known as the Blue Mansion, isn't open, so we take a picture of the outside, which is painted a gorgeous indigo blue color that was imported from India by the British. Our driver drops us at the Penang Peranakan Mansion, and when we get out of the car, I forget I still have the red dot on my forehead. A young man opens the door for me and bows slightly with his hands together in a praying movement. He has a smile on his face. I wonder if it is because of the red dot and feel happy I left it on, if it has allowed for a connection, however brief, with someone. A guide takes us through the house, explaining its history and culture. The word Peranakan refers to people who were the first immigrants coming from southern China to Malaysia and their descendants, who are mixed ethnicities, Malay, Thai, Indonesian, and Chinese. The Peranakans were known as the King's Chinese, as they were more loyal to the British crown than they were to China. The Penang Peranakan mansion was built by a wealthy man named Chung Ken Kui, whose nickname was Captain China because he was one of the richest men in Penang in the late 1800s. There are pictures of him and his descendants on the wall, a gorgeous hybrid of European and Chinese furniture, beautiful silks, jewelry, clothing, dishes, etc., that belonged to the people who lived here. Every room is more beautiful than the last, and it is almost as if they have just gone out for the day and we are snooping around their private possessions. It's easy to imagine them living here, especially with an imagination like mine, and we happily spend a couple hours exploring this piece of history. We drive past a mosque and then a Chinese temple. There's a long line lineup outside, and our driver says that it's because of Chinese New Year. Anyone that goes there will be given a red envelope. In China, this is the time when parents give their children red envelopes with money inside. We wonder how much would be in these ones. We're tired now, so we decide to go to the modern part of the city, where we will go shopping and go for dinner. This is near the beach. Our driver suggests a, a slight detour to a Buddhist temple where there is one of the biggest reclining Buddhas in the world. We can see he thinks we really should see this, so we say yes. There are two dragons outside the temple and inside a gigantic Buddha, and many smaller standing and sitting cross-legged Buddhas 
all clad in golden robes with long earlobes and hair wound upwards like a beehive. This Buddha looks like he has a secret or is thinking about something amusing. Penang Island and Port were important for the spice trade for the British from the late 1700s, and they continued to World War II when the Japanese invaded. The British took it back and then gave them independence after that. We have gotten a hint of the history of Georgetown and Penang in the architecture, religions, and diversity of the ethnicities living here in Penang today. I mentioned a book I was reading when we went to Myanmar called The Glass House. It starts out there and continues to Malaysia and especially Penang, so it's good to have been to both of these places now. I can imagine everything talked about in the book so much clearer. Langkawi is a group of 99 islands off the tip of Malaysia known as the Jewel of Kedah. We took a short flight from Penang to Langkawi and are now lounging in our hotel pool overlooking the sea. The view on the other side of the pool is more urban, and from that side, we can see restaurants and other activity down below. John and I walk to the busy restaurant area, where we find a Chinese restaurant that has lots of fresh seafood on offer. We find our way down to a beach in front of a neighboring hotel, and it's nice, but not really what we were imagining when we came here. So we make a mental note to do some research to find a beach tomorrow. We've been doing a lot of exploring and not enough relaxing yet. Normally when we book a hotel, we spend a lot of time weighing up all the facts and usually choose depending on the comments, whether there's a pool, in case we're far away from the beaches, We like the rooms, it looks clean, and is in a good location. Of course, the people writing the reviews might have a different idea to, to us on what is a good location. Our hotel is a little farther away from the action than we would like, but we do like the pool and the fact that it is modern and clean. It would be nice to be closer to a beach, but it was the best one we saw online in our price range. We make our way to the white sand and clear water of Pantai Senag Beach, one of the biggest beaches in Langkawi. It's not too far away by taxi, and we find sun loungers and umbrellas and everything else we need for a day in the sun. I've read about the beautiful beaches in Langkawi, but I also read there are quite a few jellyfish, which has always put me off coming here but we thought we'd see for ourselves after hearing some good comments from a couple of friends. The beach is fairly quiet, but there are a few people in the water, so we go in too. We wade around and even float on top of the shallow water to cool off for a bit. I'm back on my sun lounger reading, and I notice John taking a picture near the edge of the water right in front of where we have been swimming. I walk over to where he is crouched down 
inches away from a huge jellyfish that has washed up on the shore. Only some of the tentacles are visible. Most are tucked under it, but the bulbous part I can see is twice the size of John's head. It is a clear kind of color, so there's no way you would see it if you were in the water. Yikes! That's it for my swimming today. There are various extreme water sports activities on this beach, but today we see lots of people renting jet skis. I wonder how they know when, it, when it's time to come back, as they are rented by the half hour or hour, and if it was me, I would be nervous taking my phone out in the middle of the ocean to look at the time. Just as I am thinking that, I see a guy waving two ragged flags back and forth, for a few minutes, and I realize he's trying to get the jet skis skiers' attention. I guess I have my answer. It's a Thursday night, and we are in a taxi on our way to the Temoyong night market. As we get closer, we can see the lights and stalls of the vendors, and soon a massive crowd of people moving in both directions. The driver stops and lets us out, out before he gets stuck, and we walk the rest of the way in. The market is one long makeshift street, and we decide to walk all the way down to the far end to see what's on offer before deciding what we want to eat. We don't have any data on our phones, so we make a plan in case we lose each other. But there are no side roads, so we find each other quickly when one of us stays at a stall longer than the others. There don't appear to be any places where we can go sit, so we will eat as we go once we decide what to try. There is lots of local food and snacks, fresh produce, clothes, and all kinds of other stuff. For food choices, there is grilled seafood, beef and chicken satay, my favorite, green mango salad, lemongrass chicken on sticks, pancake-like things with tasty mixtures inside, fried bananas, and lots of variations on dishes with the word nasi in it. I've heard of nasi goreng, which is a rice dish with lots of other goodies, so I imagine that's what's in the other nasi dishes that are here too. We try little bits of different kinds of food until we can't eat anymore. It's colorful and busy and delightful, but after not finding anywhere to go to the washroom or sit down, we are tired. We try to find a taxi to go back to the hotel and there are none, so we walk, trying to flag one down with no luck. We see a hotel and we ask the concierge, there to call us a taxi, and he very kindly does, even though he knows we are not staying in this hotel. We are in a cable car that is meant to be the longest suspension between two stations in the world. We were fine until we heard that. <laughs> we are on our way to the top of Mount Mat Chinchang to a place called Oriental Village, where there's shopping and a restaurant area and a lake. After that, we'll continue upward and take an inclined lift called a sky glide 
to take us to the Langkawi Sky Bridge. The view of the seaside behind us and the mountain in front of us on our way up is incredible. We get to the top and there's a long lineup to get to the sky glide. There is meant to be a maximum of 12 people in this, and even though it is only a two-minute ride, there is only one, so it takes a while before we can finally get to go up. The sky bridge is even more amazing than the cable car ride. It is one of the world's longest suspension curved bridges. It hangs between two platforms high above the jungle and appears to be floating like a pedestrian road in the sky as it is held up by cables from a pylon in the middle, but the rest looks like it's not held up by anything at all. It is level with the mountaintops that it winds around and through with unique views of the Andaman Sea the mountains, and virgin jungle all around. Today is a clear day, and we can see Thailand in the distance. If you are afraid of heights, this might not be the bridge for you, as there are sections of glass flooring where we can see the jungle far down below, which is a bit of a thrill. I read somewhere that the maximum capacity on this bridge is 250 people. It's getting busier, so I hope they are keeping track. It is 125 meters, or about 400 feet long, about 660 meters, that's 2,170 feet, above sea level, and is the same height as Gunning Mat Sing Sing, the second highest peak in Langkawi. To build it, they had to construct it in pieces that were brought in by sections by helicopter and put in place. We are waiting for the sky glide to go down again, and this time it's an even longer wait. We see some people taking the cheaper route, walking down some unsafe-looking stairs, and decide the sky glide is a better option. We get drinks and a snack in the Oriental Village, which is a little touristy, but we are grateful for a place to get refreshed. We notice a spa where they have the little fish that nibble your dead skin. So John and I go in so our feet can get refreshed too. As usual, it is hideously ticklish at first, but after a while it feels good. We are sitting at a table on the sand, facing the ocean, with our toes in the sand. The table in front of us is beautifully set, with white tablecloths, candles, and red rose petals. The sun is setting on the horizon, and as the orange, pinks, and blues darken into the sky, we see the design of a giant heart with an arrow through it, made from candles in the sand to our right. Pat and Lyle have champagne, and John and I are drinking raspberry cordial. A serenading band comes around to our table and sings us a love song. Yes, it's Valentine's Day, and we are at a five-star hotel for dinner and romance. 
We booked our evening at this beautiful resort online, and we got here in a taxi from the other side of the island. When we got to the perimeter of the resort, the guards would not let us in, because we are not actually staying here. There was a moment when we started feeling like the uncool kids the bouncer won't let into the club, but after borrowing our taxi driver's phone to make a couple phone calls and lots of explaining, we were let in. This is an incredible resort. It sits in between a 10 million year, year old rainforest and the lovely serene Datai Bay. If we had thought of it and come earlier, we could have snorkeled the 8,000 year old coral reef, but we wanted to dress accordingly for this fast, fantastic restaurant. There is a giant 12 meter tall statue towering over us. It's an eagle with his wings spread wide open, one of the island of Langkawi's most recognizable monuments. We are walking around Eagle Square, getting lots of pictures of this site that greets visitors to the island via ferry. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll be taking a boat to the Thai border, which is on the island of Koh Leap, only a couple hours away. When we were planning this trip, we wanted to take Pat and Lyle to some parts of Southeast Asia we'd always wanted to go to, but missed previously, since this might be our last chance ever. So we planned to do North Vietnam and other parts of Malaysia and a couple islands we hadn't been to in Thailand. Pat's cousin lives on a farm in Phuket, and they planned to go stay with them when we go back to work. So we thought we would do this leg of the journey on boats. I'm very excited that we will now go island hopping. We are in an open speedboat, ready to travel across the South Adaman Sea between Langkawi and the Thai island, Kolip. We booked our tickets with a tour agency in our hotel as we have different agendas. All four of us will stay in Koh Leap for a few days, then take the boat to Koh Lanta, where we will say goodbye and go our separate ways. Pat and Lyle will continue on in the boat to Phuket. The speedboat only makes two trips a day, and we wanted to get away on the early one. It is almost 9.30 a.m., and we've been here for an, about an hour and a half. We give our carry-on suitcases to the boat crew who pack them at the front of the boat. We get a good seat and now have our heavy backpacks on our laps and our balancing plastic bags with water and snacks between our feet. The boat has a capacity of 40 people with 20 short benches, 10 on each side with a small aisle in between. Each bench is big enough for two people, so there are two life vests on each bench, which we already have put on. There are still people getting on the boat, and soon there are people with no seats, so the crew tells them to sit at the ends of the seats already occupied. The result is many disgruntled people, as it is already very hot, we are now packed together skin on skin with strangers and there are not enough life vests for everyone. 
people start complaining and the atmosphere turns sour very quickly as it doesn't feel like safety is an issue for this company. On the other hand, we just want to get going. The longer we sit here arguing with them about what they should have done, the longer this day will be. To be continued. Thank you.